otherwise on SAFM. Pamela Numbert has been an actress for 26 years, having graduated from the Welsh College of Music and Drama in 1985. Pamela co-wrote and co-produced a third part comedy series for the SABC, appeared in the HBO film sometime in April as the character Martine, and won a Best Actress Award at the Fespaco Film Festival in 2005 for the role she played in the film Zulu Love Letter. Pamela, welcome. Thank you for talking to me today. Oh, thank you. It's lovely to talk to you. Thank you for having me on your show. Well, I couldn't resist it after reading this book. (laughs) (laughs) My first reaction was I want to hug you and and, and tell you everything is going to be okay. And I I guess that's, that's happening already. Everything is okay now. Yes, absolutely. Everything is okay. Absolutely. I, I wanna, it was okay when I decided to actually start writing it. I think you can only be in that position to decide to put that down on, on paper. Yes. And and, and I want to thank and I want to know more about Daisaku, your mentor. Oh, yeah. He's extraordinary. Um, because when I went back to England, it was quite interesting that one of the things um, I kind of got from it, which helped me to recover fully, was that my sister introduced me to what is called Nichiren Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's quite an extraordinary teaching. Cause it's rare. I mean, it's not huge, although it's really growing now. But it's quite radical in that um, it really connects one's spirituality with who you are in this world. Um, so it really is about the empowerment of the individual. Um, and Daisaku Ikeda is like the perfect example of what one can become mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. if you strive to be a full human being, to be a complete human being. Um, and, you know, it's described, we describe, we, 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 in our practice, the teaching, which is, uh, it comes from a book called the Lotus Sutra, the, which is the uh, law of cause and effect. Mm-hmm. But basically, in the teaching, it's saying that every single person is a Buddha, and mm-hmm. it is unequivocal. It's just a question of whether you choose to awaken to that fact or not. And being a Buddha is basically a life state. It's a a person that is fully endowed and comprehensive of the fact that we have infinite compassion, we have infinite courage, um, and infinite wisdom. And and we just, if we choose to be a, a full human, we just can strive, live our lives striving to acquire those wonderful qualities. And it's not like you have to suddenly become a saint, actually. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. is as you are. Um, and as I say, I mean, Daisaku Ikeda is a, a Japanese gentleman, an ordinary man, um, but what he's achieved is just mind-blowing. You know, he's, he's set up all these educational institutions um, and purely by adhering to this wonderful philosophy. Mm. So I'm glad you asked about him because he is quite wonderful. Well, I I thought I must acknowledge him because I think without him you wouldn't have written this book. And you're absolutely right. It was because, you know, and and that's because he's made this practice available to the rest of the world. It's he that that actively um, worked to make sure that this philosophy gets to everybody. And I'm telling you, this man, he described uh, in in, in the 70s, this man said that um, Africa is the continent of the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, 
that got me. I thought, well, any man who says that, this Japanese gentleman has never even been to Africa, and this is the statement he makes. And I thought, well, I believe that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, uh, uh, you so know, it's I really, very... really do respect him. And because of, as I, and you're absolutely right, if, if I had not come across this most amazing philosophy, um, I would not have been able to make sense of that period that I talk about in the book. The, the most the most well known uh, follower of of this uh, Buddhism that yeah. you talk about is is Tina Turner. Who That's also, right. Great, you know that. Yes. You know who also had to go through very tough times before getting there. Yeah, I know. It's great that you know that. Um, but you're quite right, uh, Tina Turner. Perfect example. Um, and look how her life turned around exactly uh, by practicing this amazing thing. And I mean, I think what's most profound about it, as I've said, is that it, it really is about tuning into yourself, you know, really knowing that you're capable of absolutely anything uh, purely for, for the fact that you're alive, because life itself is the greatest power and gift that we have. And as long as you're alive... You can change any situation that you're in into something positive. Uh, and to me, that really has to be a, 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 um, a most profound philosophy. I'm, I'm, you know, I, th- I cannot think of a greater gift to give to any other human being, uh, which is why I'm so appreciative that you're asking about it, because, you know, I just want to share it with everyone. <laughs> I can hear your enthusiasm, really. But, <laughs> yeah. but I'm also very excited that you finally found a spiritual home. I mean, yes. you've gone to Sangomas, you were speaking in tongues at yes. churches, you were, you, 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 you'd been to Credo Motua, you'd been <laughs> everywhere just searching for truth and light. Literally that, you know. Um, in Buddhism, we describe it as a seeking spirit. When I heard that phrase, I thought, I am definitely, I know what that is. Because, yes, I was. You know, um, I, and I think, I, I'm sure this happens with everyone in some form or other. Maybe it wasn't as extreme as mine. But I think, you know, you do in your quieter moments sort of wonder what this is all about. Mm-hmm. You know, um, wondering why you exist. What is existence? What is it about? Especially if you're facing t- challenges, uh, you must be thinking, well, yeah, you know, there's got to be a better way. I've got to find a way to survive this, you know. Um, and we tend to seek that outside of ourselves, which is exactly what I was doing. I was looking for it everywhere. Um, and everywhere I looked was really external. I really didn't get the wisdom to understand that actually that resource is within my own life hmm. and it is about myself and the choices that I make um, and, and understanding that you know in a way these things weren't happening to me hmm. but I was in fact part and parcel of creating this, this environment hmm. which was not healthy for me in which I was sort of perpetuating um, a life of suffering one way or another so, yeah, I just went for it. And, and in a sense, Shadow, it's bizarre because it's not like I came from, you know, um, abject circumstances. Mm. I, I wasn't born in poverty. Um, I had incredible parents. My father never accused my mother of anything. He demonstrated deep, deep respect for her. My mother respected my father deeply, respected us. You know, they worked uh, very hard to make sure that we... Um, 
had a, a life that was full and expansive and always, you know, their messages were very much the messages I get in Buddhism, actually. Because mm-hmm. their messages were, you know, things like, my father used to say, the world owes you nothing. Um, he would say, you know, you've got to make your life. You've got to find your purpose. So all these things, I came from solid background. Uh, so that is what is also, in, that's another reason I, I did go into that about my background because I thought it was really important for people to to know or understand that, you know, life can throw you these curveballs no matter where you come from, no matter what background you come from, no matter how educated you might be. Um, it, you are affected by life, you know, and, and all of us, I think, need something that can anchor us and where we can navigate ourselves and continue to use in order not to just keep smashing ourselves against the wall and then not knowing how to pick yourself up. No. Um, so, yeah, in that in itself, to me, was um, extraordinary. And I wondered about it for a long time, thinking, you know, where did I go wrong? How bizarre. Now, you, you obviously had some expectations about South Africa. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 I think some, somewhat a, you had this romanticized notion. Completely. Of what would happen in, in South Africa when you got back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I'd like to believe, and I want to know what that notion was, because I'd like to believe most of your suffering was your wanting to belong. Um, your, your marriage on its own. I mean, I wanted to slap you at some point <laughs> when I was reading the book because I wanted to wake you up and what are you doing? Yeah. You know, uh, can you not see this man wants to bring a second woman into your home and decides it's, it's, it's a cultural prerogative. Yes. Um, and, and those kinds of things. So for me, you were looking to, be, for a sense of belonging in, 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 in all that you did, but mm. I want to hear it from you. What were you? What was? What, what? What were your thoughts about the kind of relationship you would have with South Africa? Yeah, I kind of, you know, uh, this thing of um, no matter how hard my parents tried to make us feel that you know wherever home was didn't matter as long as we were with together. But uh, it was that feeling of constantly being an insider outsider, never quite feeling that you were settled mm. um, and I used to you know, have loads of friends in, in the UK because you know it's quite a cosmopolitan especially London it's very cosmopolitan and I remember a Burmese friend of mine talking about Burma and the way he spoke about it there's such love you know and he, every aspect of it uh, and because he was, was where he was from you know, he really loved his country. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember looking at him enviously and thinking, gosh, I wonder what that must be like. Or you listen to people who have grown up with people, you know, they've got best friends that they live next door to and they've had those friends since they were born, you know. Mm-hmm. And because we have this nomadic existence, that wasn't really a feature in my life. You know, it's like you move on, so you kind of are able to say goodbye to people. But elements like that, you know, those to me felt like, well, that's belonging. If you love a country and then you have friends that you had all your life because they live next door to you and, you know, um, the whole the whole issue of language, which penetrated. It didn't, 
mean, it didn't feature in our family, but it did penetrate when, when you know, we met South Africans coming to our homes, where, wherever we were, and they would be speaking Kofa and Zulu and then laughing at us because we didn't understand. So that, when you're, when you're little, I suppose there's certain things that penetrate in your consciousness mm. that you don't you don't realize till later that that kind of really got to you, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. So when I came to South Africa, it was with some trepidation because I'd experienced that stuff. Uh, and I thought, well, I still don't know the language and, you know, and, and kind of rebelling against that in some ways, thinking, yeah, but why should I? Mm-hmm. And then, and, but also excited and thinking, this is amazing. Maybe I'm going to get that feeling of belonging somewhere. It's going to be great when people say, you know, where do you come from? And I don't have to say South Africa with a little bit of an apology, like not quite, because I wasn't really born there and I don't really know it. And, oh, okay, so where were you born? <laughs> oh, well, uh, Ethiopia, and then I lived here. You know, I thought, how brilliant if I'm able to just answer that question um, and be able to say with certainty that I come from South Africa mm-hmm. and end of story. So, yes, it was with um, a great sense of hope and excitement. And I, I, I didn't think, you know, I don't think, obviously, I was thinking, oh, I'm going to be embraced and loved as a human being. Um, that didn't feature. It was just like, it was, it's going to be cool, you know, to be in this place where I can actually say, yes, it is my home, too. It's not just the place that my parents come from and that I feel I have a vague relationship with. It's a place I have a relationship with, and it's my country. Um, so those were the kinds of feelings I came with. Um, and to be honest, Shadow, actually, you know, I didn't intend to necessarily stay. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, well, I'm going to vote, and then maybe I should stick around for a year or two mm-hmm. um, and just see what is going to happen with this relationship. And then Ziggy happened. Insane. Uh, <laughs> that is not what I expected. <laughs> <laughs> and then Ziggy happened, and... And your your life was good. Your life yeah. was good. You were working. Yeah. You were you were doing well. Absolutely. And and you were getting very interesting work, in fact, and, and you made well, lovely relationships with people. And and I have to say that is a very important point that you've brought up. Because one of the things that was really clear to me, you know, when you um are living, for instance, in Britain and you're black and you're an actress, uh, especially during the periods that I was developing my craft, um, it was very difficult for black actors. We were always banging those doors and, you know, you really had to kind because of, you were in the minority. So you are constantly having to make your presence felt. Mm-hmm. So it confirmed something for me because I thought, well, you know, on one level you were there going, but I know I'm in the minority. I know actually this isn't really my country, um, but hell, I have every right to be here, which of course one does. You have a right to be anywhere in the world. Um, but, you know, I was, I was full of those kinds of feelings. So one of the things that was totally confirmed to me was, you know, no matter what, um, I'm in this continent, and actually somebody of my hue <laughs> is in the majority, and, you know, it was proved. That it was, I proved the point because, mm-hmm. yes, exactly, it didn't take long to be working, and yes, it's true, I had a great CV, I'd done loads of great work, but, you know, the doors did open, and to climb to that kind of um, success in such a short, short space of time was quite interesting. So, in a sense, there was an element of belonging, you know what I mean? Because 
I would, I would look at it and I thought, well, in England, you know, that is exactly what happens to my English peers. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because they're in their own land. So they would advance in ways that I would be questioning and would approach my, uh, you know, artistic directors of theatres. Before I came to South Africa, I approached the artistic director of the National Theatre where I was working. And I, I kind of said to him, you know, it's great, you guys keep calling me back. But I have to say, I've noticed with my peers that they seem to be getting lead roles and the rest of it. And while you, you call me back and the roles I'm getting are interesting, I don't seem to be growing or developing. And I just want to know, is this because you think I'm not capable of doing these roles or is it something else? And he was very frank and he said, well, actually, it's something else. Uh, we have to face the fact that you are black sure. and uh, we're not at a stage here <laughs> um, where directors can even accept the idea of a black Juliet. Um, and he said, of course you can play Juliet. There's no doubt about it. But that's the reality of the environment you're in. Um, and of course, so he said, yes, I, you know, I think it's a great idea if you go to South Africa and sort of see what happens there. Mm. It makes sense because here, yeah, things could change one year from now, five years from now, ten years from now. Or he said, Pam, could be never. So, you know, why stop yourself? Do go and investigate and see what happens um, when you go and work in Africa, you know. And, 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 yeah, it did happen. It was amazing. So that did help to build my confidence somewhat. And then, and then you, you, you decide to get married. Yeah. And, and stop working, in a sense, because you, you were felt you were a slave at home and a slave at work. Yeah. The nightmare. Why? Why did it take you so long to 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 realize that um, it's 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 not what ought to be happening? You yeah, don't I think have one to. One of the main this. things is that at that point, um, the sweet success wasn't so sweet anymore. Um, I was finding all kinds of challenges that I didn't seem to be equipped to cope with. So in a way, even getting married was kind of a form of protection or needing some some sense of, of the, that I have a control somewhere in my life and that I've got an ally somewhere, you know, that trying to create a base, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, but because my whole perspective of myself and my life and my environment was so distorted, um, I obviously made the wrong choice. But I think it was also that thing of, well, you know, what else have I got? I've got to make this work one way or another. And I do think on one level there was a sense of guilt about um, the fact that I did come from some kind of privilege. And this, 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 already, this in itself does sound completely crazy because it is. It's a, it's a very delusional um, uh, viewpoint. But, you know, feeling that, you know, I should help out in this way and this guy's family were struggling and you know so there was all this manipulation and guilt and yeah you know the other thing is you are trying to understand the African way because you're not really African we all know you're English and I'm busy jumping up and down going no I'm African (laughs) (laughs) I was still having this conversation even within my own household Um, and, and, and then these bizarre dynamics which just simply had to do with survival, you know, um, and it, it came into my home. It was inside my house. So these strange 
elements of, of thinking, oh, well, and the idea that, well, you are the, you know, you're the breadwinner, you're the one that's earning the money, um, so you have to take care of all of us, even though at the same time there's this patriarchal attitude because he is the man of the house. Um, and even though, yeah, he's not the one bringing in the money, but he is the man of the house, so you do need to kind of obey you know, um, you you can't be rocking the boat with your Western ideas. You oh need to goodness. you need to kind of toe the line and relax yourself. Let this man do what he needs to do. Um, let him drive your car wherever he wants to mess around with his women. And what you need to do, you see, the African way is that you're supposed to stay home. You come from work. You stay home. You must actually cook his food ready for him. Mm. And no matter you know what he comes through the door with. What time he comes home or where he's come from, you need to be respectful and accepting of him. Um, and so there was, there was this constant dialogue in my head, in my life, in my around me. Um, and of course, then there's the other self that's going, no, this is rubbish and all the rest of it. But then there's this bigger aspect of, but I really want a stable life. I want to belong here. I want to... You know, I want something solid. <laughs> is it? Is it because so whole, is it... my whole sort of um, environment was distorted? But that environment was distorted inside my head, which is why I couldn't really see my way um, on on the outside. And you know, it, it's taught me a lot in terms of women that are in. Oh, actually, not even just women. All people. Because all people find themselves in abusive situations, everybody. I mean, I've t- spoken to men who are clearly in, in these abusive environments. And um, it, it, it's, it's a bizarre process that occurs. It's as if your reason completely fails you. So, you know, your perspective of yourself is so low that you, you cannot begin to look at your environment and say, this isn't right, and I don't deserve this, and I've got to change my situation, you somehow get to a point where you feel utterly powerless um, because you're no longer able to make the decisions that you were able to make when you were someone that was functioning properly. Mm. So I had become totally dysfunctional. I was, uh, you know, I was suffering from a deep dis-ease that perhaps did stem from those feelings of, um, insecurity and not belonging and you know so maybe these things accelerated to a point that it became um, uh, out of control Pamela so there, Pamela there was Pamela no reason Pamela longer Pamela to these elements that had formed my life at that time Sweetie, stay on the line for me. We're taking a little break, uh, news headlines, and I'm back talking to you in a bit. All right. Thank you. Thank you. News headlines with Utsile Sako. Otherwise, on SAFM. Pamela Numveta is my guest, a book called Dancing to the Beat of the Drum. She says the Sangomas say that when it is time to connect with your true calling, your true self, you must dance to the beat of the drum. Pamela, thank you for staying on the line. I, 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 I want to go back to, you know, the reason why all of this happened to you. Because your parents at some point always taught you that failure was never an option. Absolutely. I mean, that was like, that was like the refrain in our household. Failure isn't an option. Um, so, yeah, you know, and here I was spiraling royally. 
but maybe you're right. Maybe, well, I don't know if this is what you're saying, but maybe there is an element of then you need to make success of anything, mm-hmm. any situation that you find yourself. You've got to make it work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was striving in any possible way I could to make it work. Um, but as I said, having lost any reason, you know, there was no sense of it. Um, and at the same time, you know, I think what what arose for me afterwards when I sort of examined it and was looking at other scenarios similar to mine, I realized that I had um, uh, one flaw, or one of the flaws in my makeup was that I um, had, I think what they call it in psychobabble, is a Mother Teresa complex, okay. um, where I did have this idea that um, I was everybody's savior mm. and that, you know, I had to bend over backwards. I think that's in that's uh, a result of even the profession I chose because when you're an artist, you know you are a bit of a of a of a you know you you do you do tend to need that approval from outside of yourself. You're constantly seeking approval. You know the whole I think idea, isn't it? Of you perform, you do a jig, and then you yearn for the applause. Mm. You've got to have those applause. So I think that was also something that was beginning to uh, become exaggerated within my makeup because I was, in a very real way, losing my mind, if you like. Mm -hmm. So I think things like that, you know, this need, desperate need for approval um, was also accelerating. So I was bending over backwards for everybody. But at the same time, there is that element, isn't there, of um, there's there's an arrogance about it (laughs) because there's the martyr, the, the, the sort of martyr syndrome starts to seep through. Um, and it's like, look at me, I'm so long-suffering, and you know, I'm putting on... And, and people who I vaguely was sharing, my, especially when um, the polygamist element came in, and yeah. I was saying, yeah, you know, he's got these women, that, and then some women were going, oh, my God, you're so brave. There you go, that feeds <laughs> that. Um, yes, I have courage, and I'm long-suffering, and I'm putting up with this because, you know, all these people around me are totally helpless and dysfunctional, and I'm the one keeping it all together. Um, and it's painful and horrible, and at the detriment of my own happiness, I'm doing, making this huge sacrifice for these people, which is um, a very, it, I actually find it quite fascinating, that whole idea and that whole Mother Teresa complex and yes. how it can um, take you to this unbelievable delusional state of, of power, in a sense, because as a victim, you do have some elements of power, mm-hmm. you know, because you're keeping things in their place, aren't you? And you continue to manipulate the perpetrator because you're, you're sort of saying, yeah, I am the victim. And look at you, you horrible individual. You're the evil one. But look how long-suffering I am. You know, so you just keep this whole wonderful cycle of, of abuse going but as a victim. And there's a certain sense of arrogance. There's a, there's a level of arrogance in it. And, and the industry was fueling that as well because your, yeah. your lifestyle in, 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 in the industry, you, you, you I, I suppose if, if with all the parties and the attention that you're oh, getting yeah. and, you know, the, there's drinks flowing and you oh, have yeah. to keep up the, 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 the facade of, you know, being successful and everything going well. Yep. When you look back at that, do you think you could have, I mean, weren't there people around you that were saying, stop this, it's not working? Can we help you leave no. this man? Or you didn't want to hear? Well, it's interesting because it's like, well, like my, my uh, family members 
my brother, he, you know, he didn't really say that, but he was kind of um, keeping his distance more and more. Um, it was clear they didn't like him. My father, before he passed, um, I think uh, you, you read that bit where mm. he was saying, I remember him sitting me down when this man said he wanted to marry me, and uh, my father said, well, he said, look, you know, I don't actually, it's your life, and you choose the people you want to marry. So, but be smart about this. Use some wisdom, because it doesn't feel right. You know, I don't know what's going on. And it, for him, he was quite interesting, because he'd never met his mother. He never met uh, his husband's mother, but he said, my main worry is that woman, the mother, hmm. because, you know, she seems like she's quite greedy. And um, for her, the situation is, is, is uh, something that she is enjoying. And he said, you know, so be careful, because the other thing is, let's say you continue, you, you get married to this man, then he dies. Do you think it's going to end there? And he said, it's not. You're going to have serious problems with his family. Um, so that was those words of wisdom. And then, unfortunately, my father passed, and then I did get married anyway. But in a way, he staved it. My mother made it clear that she was worried about this gentleman. But by then, I'd sort of lost contact with my mother in a way, just didn't get into contact with her, because more and more, yeah, I began to alienate my family members because mm. I was like, you know, they're not helping me. They don't like my family. They don't like my life. They don't like this man. And somehow took it as a criticism of my choices. Mm. Mm. Um, so that was a disaster, you know, because maybe if I'd continued to make efforts with my family, um, they might have, I might have woken up earlier. But so, you know, which I think that's also typical of... Um, people that find themselves in these scenarios, that the first people you tend to um, isolate yourself from are your family members. And obviously they're the ones that will tell you the truth. In terms of, like, friends or people I was socializing with, you know, when I, and I, when I, went, when I went back to England and I thought about it, I was like, but I didn't have friends. Oh, my goodness. You know, I don't remember making any friend, um, people that I could really say, that's my friend. Everybody was just an acquaintance. Everybody was, we were kind of in the same weird world. So there was a great level of mistrust among one another. Mm. Um, and genuine interactions, to be honest, Shadow, they, they didn't exist in my life. Mm. You know, so... In many ways, I was kind of a, a little bit of a loner, even though I knew loads. And it's only now, when I came back, I was like, oh, my gosh, I knew loads of people. Mm. You know, because I bumped from people in Superman the Hay, and I'm like, oh, my Lord. And all my day, and I thought, wow, I knew so many people. But clearly, I hadn't really connected or engaged with them. So I didn't have friendships. And... People who were around me, yeah, I guess that in a sense, they wouldn't dare, even though they could see that things are not right, they wouldn't dare say anything. You know, people don't, do they? Because they don't know what your reaction is going to be. Mm. Um, and even now, when I have conversations with people, they all say, yeah, we could see this guy, and, you know, we didn't, never liked him, never did this. And I did think, well, why didn't you say? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, of course, that's totally unfair to put that on people who are not within your world um, because, you know, they have no idea how you're going to react. 
But the person, though, who then taught me a lot in terms of, I thought, if I do come across you know, people who are in um, abusive situations, I'm going to adopt what she adopted, because what she, and that was my sister who mm-hmm. came to visit, um, because what she did is she just focused on me. She didn't talk about um, my spouse. She didn't talk about the fact that my house was not my house, that there were these thousands of people in there. Uh, you know, my brother used to say things like that. Well, it's weird going to Pamela's house because there's all these people mm. and that I just don't know. And they all seem to be living there. <laughs> and she seems to be supporting all of them. So, you know, he would say stuff like that and then I'd get angry and it was just crazy. But uh, my sister, when she came, and, and the interesting thing is, it's not like she was, when she was going through her own challenges uh, and she was recovering from a, a nervous breakdown, Right, so it is interesting that she is the one who um, connected with me and my situation, mm. uh, and and she was able to just talk to me and and ask me how I was and would say things like you know um, how do don't where where do you find the space for yourself. Um, I'm just wondering because I'm in your house and I don't see where you get your space to kind of think. Um, maybe you need to start thinking about things like that. You know, so she would talk to me like that and then say things like, you know, you, it's strange because the Pamela I knew, this isn't really you. Yeah. Uh, and I'm wondering where you are because I can't really find you in all this. I'm seeing all these things externally that you seem to be defining your life with. It's great, yeah, you have a successful career and there's all that stuff, but I'm not seeing, you're not happy. I'm not seeing joy in your eyes anymore. I'm not, you're not the Pamela I used to know. And of course, she hadn't seen me for years. So she was like, you know, could it be that? But those are the conversations she was having with me. Mm-hmm. And, and those were the things that began to penetrate, you know? Those are the things that I would say were probably the beginnings of my awakening. Mm-hmm. If things didn't go the way they, they did go, in this very dramatic way, you know, who knows? I may well have woken up because of that systematic um, um, kind of uh, attention from my sister. <laughs> Pamela, um, yeah. are, you, are you coming back to South Africa anytime? Yes, well, I'm here. Shadow. Are you here? Yes, I've been here for about um, since um, April. End oh, of April. fantastic! I'm yeah. glad. I'm I'm so happy that you're back. That we haven't lost you forever. No, 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 not at all. Had to. This is definitely where I need to be. And the and the book is at all good bookstores. Yes, um, as far as I know, it's in available in the ones we all know, like CMA. They're their exclusive books. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I wish you well with your writing because you're clearly going to write other stories. Because oh, I'm you. sure there's lots that that live in your head. But I see that you're also trying your hand at film making. Yes, yes, I did, uh, and that started in the UK. So um, I actually took myself to a, a school for about four or five months. So I'll see what happens there. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. And, and welcome to yourself. Because oh, you bless found you. Yourself. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. You take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Dancing to the Beat of the Drum is the book. You've got to read this. You have to read this. I know lots of people in the same situation, and it's difficult to get out.
and um, and, and and Pamela tried everything, everything. And you'll only understand. And I, I want people in the industry also to read it because I think it's very important. Pamela Nunvete, an autobiography, Dancing to the Beat of the Drum.